You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked on Mets, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. To get this show every day, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Mets. Now, it was a bad weekend for your amazings as they got swept once again, although this weekend against a much better team in the Los Angeles Dodgers. I'll talk about that series in the first segment, then in the second segment, I want to talk about the Dodgers. They had a change in ownership in 2012 that has turned that franchise upside down, has made them the powerhouse in the National League. There's been a lot of talks about the Mets wanting to be that as well under Steve Cohen. And so I want to kind of dive into what happened with them and what could happen for the Mets in the near future as this payroll continues to climb and the Mets get further and further from the Wilpon era. Finally, in the third segment, I'll preview the upcoming series against the San Francisco Giants and talk about why this is a make-or-break time for the Mets' young core position players. they got to show up sooner rather than later, or there's going to be some big changes coming in the offseason. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter, at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also follow the show, at LockedOnMets. On Friday night, Tyler McGill took the mound against the best team he has seen so far in his young career. And he fared pretty well, gave up three runs over five innings. Not going to knock him too much for that. But the Mets were trailing 4 to nothing, heading into the bottom of the seventh inning. And with two outs, they finally showed some fight. Really, this was the best bit of offense of the entire weekend. You had Michael Conforto rip a double. Dominic Smith drives him in with a single. Brandon Nimmo draws a walk. With two runners on for Pete Alonso, a pass ball. Moves them both into scoring position, but also frees up first base. So the Dodgers opt to intentionally walk Pete, bring up Jeff McNeil. McNeil makes them pay, driving in two with a base hit. Pete Alonso would come around to score on a pass ball, but that was all the Mets would get that inning. They tied the game up. They brought some life to a huge, packed City Field crowd. And then Miguel Castro and Edwin Diaz had some electric pitching performances to lead that game into extra innings. And that's when everything fell flat. Jerese Familia went out to pitch the 10th. He is not good pitching three days in a row. We saw it again. He gave up the rare leadoff two-run homer with the runner starting on second. Will Smith was the man that hit the ball out. Smith had a ridiculous series. A clear Mets killer. If memory serves, I believe he had his debut against the Mets years ago. And it seems like every time the Dodgers face the Mets, this is one of the guys that kills them. So that was the story in Game 1. The Mets scored one run in the bottom half of that extra inning game, but ultimately lost. And then in Game 2, we had a no-no watch. Taiwan Walker was brilliant. His splitter was next level, a pitch we haven't seen him go to the well with as much as he did in this start. He found it as a strike, as a pitch he could bury. It was really a pitch he was working off of. He had the Dodgers completely baffled throughout most of this game, took that no-no into the seventh inning, 
did get one out in the seventh. But then who came up to the plate? None other than Will Smith, who hit another home run, which broke up the no-no, tied the game as Michael Conforto had homered earlier on against Walker Bueller. In the end, Bueller kind of outpitched Walker because he actually made it through seven. Taiwan needed some help from Aaron Loop to get out of a jam in that seventh inning. That game goes into extras as well. The Dodgers got a big hit that the Mets couldn't. Cody Bellinger had an RBI double. The Mets had nothing in that game at the end there. They were 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. In the final game of the series, they were 0 for 12. So the same story that has plagued the Mets all year, once again, came up this weekend. They couldn't hit with runners in scoring position. They didn't hit enough home runs. Not enough offense. You're going to lose a lot of games. Especially on Sunday, when Carlos Carrasco got lit up for six runs, and the Dodgers just destroyed the Mets. They won, was it 14-4 when it was all said and done? There's a reason why they're 26 games over 500, and the Mets are now only one game over 500. And when you talk about Carrasco, not to dive into it too much, he's in spring training mode still. That's where this guy's at. This is his fourth time out. He's still not even fully stretched out. Part of that is because he hasn't pitched well enough to get stretched out a little bit more. And maybe you could have sent him out for the third inning because the game was already out of hand. You could have stretched him out further. But it was a lot of you know, stressful innings early on there and the stressful pitches. So I get pulling him. Overall, Carrasco has to be better, but you're not going to pin a sweep on Carlos Carrasco for dropping the ball in that last game, especially because the Mets had their opportunities to get back in it. Again, 0 for 12 with runners in scoring position. The offense continues to fail them, and you're heading on a West Coast trip where your season can be out of hand. You got three in San Francisco, then four against that same Dodgers team that just destroyed you at home. Now you got to go and play in their house in a four-game series. And all the guys you just faced, you're probably going to see again. Max Scherzer pitched on Sunday. You're going to see him again. One of those first games in that series. I mean, Walker Bueller, maybe you'll miss him. Trying to do the math in my head. You might miss Bueller. Maybe not, though. I think Bueller would probably start game one of that series. He pitched Saturday, so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, you're going to see Bueller. You're going to see Scherzer. You won't say Julio Urias, but it's going to be the same Dodgers team that's loaded, and the Giants have been better this year. So that is a rough West Coast trip, and right now the Braves are in first. That's right. The Atlanta Braves have found themselves here in the middle of August, August 16th, in first place. They have a game lead over the Phillies and a a two-and-a-half game lead over the Mets, and they're playing the Marlins in Miami, which... For the Mets, is a house of horrors. For the Braves, who knows? We'll see. I think they have had some troubles against Miami the last few years. So we'll see what Atlanta does in Miami. But if they can play well there, they then go to Baltimore. So their road trip, a lot easier than the Mets' road trip. There is a great chance at the end of this week, the Mets can be looking at a huge hole where they're, who knows, six games out in first place? There's a possibility. That's why they had to step up. And we're going to talk about that in the final segment today. But what I want to do is take a macro approach right now and talk about the Dodgers. Because this is what the Mets aspire to be. And I'll talk about what it took for them to get there and why there's still hope that the Mets will find their way atop the National League over the next couple of years with Steve Cohen at the helm. We'll talk about that in a minute. But did you know that 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? 
Is it really that surprising though? The game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention the experts who have more tools and more time. You just don't stand a chance. But now you do with Stat Hero, the first ever daily fantasy sportsbook that puts the player in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. You name the stakes, winner take all, you had the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineup ahead of time. No one else does that. Play Stat Hero now and change the odds by going to stathero.com slash locked on. You can sign up for free and right now you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match. That's unheard of. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. That's stathero.com slash locked on. When Steve Cohen bought the New York Mets, there was this thought amongst the fan base that all of the dark times were behind you. The Mets were going to immediately be contenders. The payroll was going to skyrocket. They had the richest owner in the sport. This is the time for the Mets, and it still is. But the first year has not gone as planned. And I'm not going to sit here after watching the Mets lead this division the whole year and say it's not disappointing and that the season, if it ended today, would not be a disappointment. It would. The Mets should be able to win this division. And maybe they still do. With all that said, though, if you really pull your fandom out of it and look at the league right now and look at the talent on the West Coast, the Mets were never on that level. Now, what I always said was, hey, get Jacob deGrom in a five-game series and a seven-game series where he's pitching two or three times. Anything can happen. And I still believe that. But Jacob deGrom's hurt right now. So without Jacob deGrom... When you're looking at the Mets' hopes this season, it's just not the same. And just imagining a Jacob deGrom, Madison Bumgarner-type playoff run, that does not necessarily mean that this team was ready to be World Series contenders. That's just saying that the best pitcher on the planet could have led you there. And the Mets should try to get him as many cracks as possible in what's left of his prime to lead them to a championship. But they need to build a roster around him That'll get him there, even if he's hurt a little bit. And the Mets just aren't quite there yet, but to expect all of it to happen in one offseason, it's unrealistic. This is a three to five year window with Jacob DeGrom. And so it is frustrating that you might have wasted a year here, but you got to remember the foundation that you were trying to build on. It was a very shaky one. And this brings me to the Dodgers, because the Dodgers have been the reigning NL West champion for what feels like forever now. But that was not always the case. From 1989 to 2011, the Dodgers were definitely better than the Mets. They won the division five times. They were over 516 of those 23 seasons, but they weren't this juggernaut. They were a good team that would have their years where they were great. They've been great pretty much consistently since 2013. And what changed was ownership. In April of 2011, Major League Baseball took the team from Frank McCourt, had someone come in and oversee day-to-day operations, and essentially set it up to be sold because there was concerns about the team's finances after a report by the LA Times that McCourt had received a personal loan to cover the team's payroll for April and May that year. So Major League Baseball steps in. The team is eventually sold in May of 2012 
So that new ownership group did not get a full offseason leading into that year, but they did take over. And at the time, going into 2012, the payroll stood at $114 million. Now, one of the first moves they make is they go out and they sign Yasiel Puig, a huge international free agent. They also, in August of 2012, make a deal to add a ton of payroll by acquiring Adrian Gonzalez, Josh Beckett, and Carl Crawford. So that kind of leads into your offseason. Going into 2013, their first real full season under new ownership. Now that same offseason, they get he and Jin Ryu out of Korea. They get Zach Grinke on a six-year $147 million deal. Between the trades, between Grinke and everything else, and some guys getting big jumps in arbitration like Clayton Kershaw, suddenly their payroll went from $114 million in 2012 to $239 million in 2013. The Dodgers have not lost the division since, but it's not just a big spike in payroll. They hired Andrew Friedman in 2014, who completely revamped their farm system, took this unsustainable model of just paying for everything like they did in their first two years of ownership, and actually turned it into a well-run machine with a great development team in the minors that really did create this huge pitching factory and hitting factory and all these prospects would come up and if they don't make it to the big league roster, they become valuable trade shifts that can net players like they just added at the deadline with Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. So it has been a top to bottom overhaul that took some time. It didn't happen right away. Now there was maybe a better nucleus there to build around from the start than what the Mets had. And so they had it a little bit more success early on. But overall, it was the second year of ownership that they won the division for the first time, and they have not lost the division since. Every single year, NL West champions. This year, maybe the Giants take it from them. But even if they do, the Dodgers are going to be a playoff team that's going to be well above 500. And what the Dodgers do so well is they have all of the resources to take advantage of any point in time where there is a market inefficiency. So Mookie Betts, MVP-type player, who has obviously won the award. He wasn't a reigning MVP when they traded for him, but that type of a player, he ends up on the market. So what do you do? No one else is jumping on it. (laughs) Why not? Well, he was about to make $30 million, I believe, in the final year of arbitration, and he was going to be due a contract that was going to be one of the richest ever given out. And so there was no teams out there that were willing to give up significant prospects for a player that they didn't think they could keep or even pay for in that first year. Would have been a really expensive rental for a team like, I don't know, the Phillies to swoop in and get Mookie Betts or the Mets to swoop in and get Mookie Betts. So the Dodgers not only take on Betts, but they also take more money off the Red Sox hands by eating David Price's contract. So you get Price, you get Betts, you sign best to a huge deal, you win a World Series. Now the Mets made a similar trade this offseason for Francisco Lindor, a player that had a value that was a little bit sunk because he was in the final year of his deal. He was about to get a monster contract, ended up being $341 million. The Mets make a trade where they did give up some prospects, but they gave up Andres Jimenez, who was coming off a year in 2020 where he played in empty ballparks and probably played a little bit over his head, and now, playing in front of fans and everything else, has not had the best season, has been up and down between AAA and the big leagues, 
Hasn't quite been the same player. The Mets traded him at the right time. We'll see what he turns into, but Andres Jimenez will never be Francisco Lindor. They traded Ahmed Rosario, who last I checked has the exact same OPS this season as he's had throughout his career. He's a 700 OPS player. At this point, his future is probably to be a super utility player that can have a nice career, but is never going to be an all-star. Then they gave up two prospects that were really far away. They get Lindor, they get Carrasco. That's still a great trade. The Mets had been making smarter decisions. They've been building out their development people. They've been building out their front office. More needs to happen. Maybe the Mets this offseason get a better executive to head everything up. There's been rumblings about Theo Epstein. Not so sure if he wants to do that. To me, it seems like he's angling to be the next commissioner. He's working in the league office. I don't know if Theo wants to get out of what he's doing in the league office and go back into the same job he's been doing since he was in his late 20s, early 30s, but maybe he does. Maybe he sees the Mets as his next project that he can take over and build out his Hall of Fame resume, although that Hall of Fame resume is already cemented. But whether it's Theo Epstein or if it's just Zach Scott and Sandy Alderson, the bottom line is the resources that are getting poured into this organization are going to take some time to bear fruit, but they will over time. They're trying to build out a pitching factory in Port St. Lucie that's going to help develop these guys and make them better than they've ever been. Look at someone like Tyler McGill this year. Would Tyler McGill develop at this fast pace under the Wilpon regime? Part of me thinks that he wouldn't have. But they now have resources. They now have more data. They can pour into their players and create better prospects. And that, in turn, gives you capital to go out, shop the market, find the inefficiencies, and get different players in here that'll help you win each and every year. The Mets aren't there yet, but don't give up hope in the first year and think they're never going to get there because Steve Cohen's determined to get there. And I think his determination with his resources are going to come together at some point and it could be in 2022. And this is going to be a whole new era of Mets baseball right now. You're going through growing pains and those growing pains have a good chance to continue in San Francisco We'll talk about that in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about the best tasting protein bar ever, which is Built Bar. There are so many delicious flavors to choose from, like the Coconut Bar, Cherry Barcia, Raspberry, Mint Brownie, Double Chocolate, German Chocolate, Salted Caramel, Strawberry, Orange, or my personal favorite, the Cookies and Cream Bar. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box where you get two of each and you can try them all and see what you like the best. There really is something for everyone. These are protein bars that taste like candy bars. They come covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft, they're easy to chew, and they're healthy. Built Bars come low in calories, low in sugar. They're high in protein and high in fiber. If you want to try Built Bar today, go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Whether it's live betting during games, betting on player props like strikeouts or home runs, betting on the upcoming NFL season, BetOnline has you covered with real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. They have you covered for all the new scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code LOCKEDON. Again, that's promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. 
Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, before I preview this series against the San Francisco Giants, I want to do a quick injury update for Francisco Lindor. Positive news. Before the game on Sunday, he was seen in full uniform, lining a hit into right field, sprinting around first base, and diving into second. So he was running, he was swinging. He says he's healthy or he feels healthy. He feels great. He's ready to go, but there's still a process that needs to be worked out here. He needs to face high-velocity live BP. That's where you're going to get that real torque on his oblique, make sure everything is clean and ready to go. Then we'll see if he needs to go and play a couple rehab games right now. He traveled with the team out west. They're saying that there is a chance he could be back for the next homestand, so maybe just one more week without Lindor. Noah Syndergaard did throw the other day. He's about ready to face live batters himself, so that's a good sign. GM Zach Scott has indicated that Syndergaard is more likely to pitch out of the bullpen than the rotation this year, which could mean less of a ramp-up period for him to be able to get back onto the Major League roster. There's a chance that we could see Syndergaard early September, maybe if everything breaks right, probably more likely mid-September. And this is where you're at right now. You're running out of season to get these guys back. And that is where you get to the awful news, which is that Jacob deGrom has been shut down for two more weeks. There was still some inflammation on his MRI, so he has to stay shut down. Then after two weeks, I'm sure they'll get him a fresh batch of scans and hopefully everything is clear. But at that point, you're already looking at the end of August. If he starts throwing then to get ramped up and be back in the rotation at this point, there is a very good chance we don't see Jacob DeGrom this year. And if you do, it's because the Mets got back into this race and they were playing for something down the stretch, then it would be worth it for DeGrom to get ramped up and ready to go. But if this continues to go the way it has the last two weeks, and the Mets keep falling farther and farther out of it, I think there is a great likelihood that just won't be worth risking the health of your best player for you know a second or a third place finish. It's just not worth it. So we'll see how the Mets can play this thing out and if they can put themselves in a better position to get guys like this back to be contributing towards something special in October. Right now, it's just not looking that way. Another one, Javi Baez went on the IL over the weekend as well with back spasms. So the Mets right now are rolling out a lineup where Jonathan VR is your starting shortstop and you have nothing else behind him other than Brandon Drury and Jeff McNeil to back him up at shortstop, and that is why this team is really struggling. Now, talking about this series against the Giants, the Giants are 34 games over 500. okay? They aren't first in the NL West. There's a reason the Dodgers still don't have this division locked up. It's because of the Giants. The Giants have been legit all year long. They were the biggest surprise early on. Now, you shouldn't be surprised anymore. They're a great team. Kevin Gosman's going to pitch in Game 1. He's been their ace this year, a 2-2-9 ERA, going up against Rich Hill. I like the Giants in that matchup, let's be honest. Then you got Marcus Stroman going against Logan Webb in Game 2. Webb is in his first real full season. He did have 8 starts in 2019, did pitch in 2020. This is his first 162. He's pitched in 17 games, has 16 starts, and has gotten to that sub-3 ERA. Then in the final game, it'll be Tyler McGill versus Anthony Discalafani. Uh, that is a tough name. Does not roll off the tongue easily. We'll call him Anthony D. He's got a 3-2-90 ERA this year. Another good pitcher. They got great pitching. They got great hitting. They're a first-place team. 
the bottom line is to beat a team like that, you got to play at your best. And the Mets have been anything but at their best the last two weeks. This offense has just been terrible. Michael Conforto has been the one guy hitting the last two weeks. He was so bad earlier on in the year that people haven't really let up off of him yet. But he's hitting 333 the last 15 days with a 429 on base percentage, a 571 slugging percentage, a 1,000 OPS, two home runs, four doubles. He's been very good. J.D. Davis has the second best OPS on the team across the last 15 days at 826. Four doubles has not homered, but he has struck out 14 times in his last 33 at-bats, 42% of the time, and he struck out in some big spots as well. You have Jonathan VR, 814 OPS, which is buoyed by his three home runs, and then everything drops off a cliff from there. Pete Alonso's hitting 189. 317 on base percentage, 377 slugging, 695 OPS. Brandon Nimmo is still getting on base at a 352 clip, but he's batting 222 with a 333 slugging percentage. Jeff McNeil and Dominic Smith each have an OPS below 600 across this span. Brandon Drury has come down to earth with a 561 OPS the last two weeks. And then you have James McCann and Tomas Nito with an identical 118 batting average. Kevin Blar. At that same number, you have Nito and Pilar at 2 for 17, McCann 4 for 34. This offense has just been terrible. And this brings me to my overall point here. This is make or break time for this core. You have JD and Dom, who are supposed to be bat first, bad defense guys. Dom has been better than we expected out in left field, but neither of them has lived up to their offensive potential. Dom. I think overall it's been a consistent performer for this team where he has, you know, found a way to drive in some runs throughout the season. He's been healthy. He's been available, but he hasn't been the 2020 Dom. Hasn't even been the 2019 Dom. J.D. Davis has been good in pockets of the season, but he's terrible defensively at third. He needs to be elite offensively to be able to swallow that. Then you have McNeil and Nima who have been nice pieces, who've had their moments, but overall, all of these guys who, for the most part, are homegrown, there has been all this talk about camaraderie and how this team, since the second half of 2019, has such a great clubhouse and all that good stuff. They need to get to their potential sooner rather than later, or it's going to be time to give up on these guys and go find a new core. Because Francisco Lindor, he's going to be there. There's no other guarantee for anybody on this roster that they're going to be here long-term. Pete Alonso, likely second when it comes to their long-term potential on this team, but he still has to prove that he's not just a supercharged version of Lucas Duda when it comes to being a streaky, power-hitting first baseman. He's better than Duda, of course, but he's a little bit too streaky still. He has to prove he can carry a lineup through these rough stretches. I'm not trying to be hard on these guys. I think, if anything, I've been pretty soft on them throughout the year. But it gets to that point where all you talk about is camaraderie. If it's not moving the needle, if you're not winning games, who cares about camaraderie? You know who has a great clubhouse? A first-place team. There has never been a first-place team with a bad clubhouse. You know what's fun? Winning. You see Trey Turner? He looks on cloud nine right now. Why? Because he went from the doldrums to the juggernaut. <laughs> He's batting leadoff for a team that's 30 games over 500 with protection behind him, a great pitching staff. There's a chance to win a World Series. He looks like a kid again. 
Although that's just kind of how Trey Turner looks in general. But my point is, if this Mets team starts winning with a completely different group of guys, the clubhouse will be just fine. So this is the point in the season where the guys who have been your core have to step up or there's going to be a lot of questions in the offseason about whether this should still be your core moving forward. Definitely going to be a tough week here. If the Mets can take three of the seven games right now, you'd probably sign up for it. But maybe they surprise us and do better. I'll be breaking down all that tomorrow. Going to have Pat Regazzo, Mets beat writer on as well. So make sure you tune in for that. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review. Wherever you get your podcast. make sure you follow me on Twitter. At Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show. At Locked on Mets. And if you don't want begging to be a guessing game anymore, listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast. Hosted by your boy Q. And handicapping expert Lee Sterling, get your daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day by following the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get podcasts.